Good morning. Uh, Today's reading is from Hebrews uh, chapter 7, starting at 11. uh, Jesus, like Melchizedek, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood and indeed the law law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. But it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to, as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, but the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed their sins once for all when he offered himself, for the law appoints as high, sorry, <laughs> for the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. For the last few months, we've been going through the the book of Hebrews. Today is our last session in this series. Can I have a big, ah, I know you're disappointed. After a a week or two teaching on prayer, we'll move on to study the, 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 the story of Abraham in Genesis next month. Can I have a, woo? That'll be exciting, particularly because, guess who we meet in Genesis 13? Our friend Melchizedek. Yes, that we heard about last week and we'll hear more about this week. Fantastic. Now then, so well done for those who've been here for the last few months and have worked through with us. For those who are new this morning and just picking up the series, we've got a whole bunch of Bible teaching on YouTube if you'd like to catch up so you'd be in line with today. Did you hear that terrific quote in the coronation service yesterday? 
as King Charles was presented with all sorts of crowns, all sorts of scepter and the orb, he was told, receive this book. It is what? It's the most valuable thing this world has to offer. His wisdom, God's wisdom, this is the royal law whose lively oracles of God are in here. This book, which we're about to study now, despite all the infinite riches of the crown jewels, this is the most precious thing this world affords. Praise God for his word in our language. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you, Lord God, that we have it in our language. Thank you, Lord, that we have it readily accessible, not only in hard copies, but we have it on, on our phones and tablets. Thank you for that, Lord God. Father, we praise you that for 2,000 years, people have tried to undermine it and destroy it, but it stands strong today because it's the living word of the living God, and we thank you for it. Father God, we pray that even today, King Charles would read his Bible, and he would see that it is God speaking to him. Bless him, Lord, and we pray that he would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Be with us here, Lord God, as we study the Bible. Thank you, Father, that it's the most precious thing, the most valuable thing this world affords. Come, Holy Spirit, and help us understand it, we pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> excuse me, we are studying Hebrews chapter 7, and uh, Jesus is a better great high priest. Do we have any Agatha Christie fans in here this morning? Ooh, a couple of hands shot straight up over here with a, some furtive nodding. Right, I read one of her books recently, and as it neared the climax of the story, Agatha Christie was describing how Poirot was interviewing two men separately, and the case was building and building for one of them to be charged with murder. Of course, I fell for it. I focused on the main character, which is what they wanted to me to do, Lynn, of course, had already read the book and she'd sussed it. She's much better at this kind of thing. She noticed that you have to take notice of all the characters, the main characters, and the minor characters as well. And it was revealed it was one of the minor characters who was the culprit, not the one, not the major character, which I guess that would be far too predictable. In a detective story, you should never ignore the minor characters. And guess what? The same applies to the Bible. We should never ignore the minor characters of the Bible. We, we have major and minor characters. The major characters, they're easy. In the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, David, Isaiah, etc. But today's passage, one of the center Sorry, one of, one of the minor characters takes a very central role. So, ladies and gentlemen, we present you with our friend Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a different kind of priest. And further on, we'll study how Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So, number one, Melchizedek is a different kind of priest. If you were here last week, you will have heard Ian McGregor give an excellent explanation of who Melchizedek 
was and his relevance to the Lord Jesus. I don't have time to recap all of that, so if you missed it, perhaps you'd like to check out the YouTube teaching which is available. It was very, very helpful. Well done, Ian. Now, the Jews were a very proud people, and one of the things that they were very proud of was that they were proud to be called children of Israel. Abraham, sorry, children of Abraham. Abraham was regarded as the father of the nation. Now, Melchizedek appears only once in the story of the Old Testament in Genesis 14. And when Abraham met him, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And Abraham spontaneously gave him 10% of the plunder that he had rescued from battle. This shows that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham because the greater person, Melchizedek, blessed Abraham. And Abraham gave gifts to the greater person. So the father of the nation, Abraham, there is somebody greater than him, and that is Melchizedek. Melchizedek must be greater than Abraham, the father of the nations. And he was a priest in a different order. And Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, and therefore he also is greater than Abraham. We need a priest in the order of Melchizedek because the truth is, as so ably demonstrated in the Lego game before, the Old Testament law failed. Verse 7 in, sorry, verse 11 in Hebrews 7 says, if your perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aram, who was the high priest. Now the people who received this letter to the Hebrews, they'd been brought up as mainly Old Testament Jews, but they'd put that trust in the Lord Jesus in his death and, his, and resurrection because they knew that the Old Testament law couldn't make them perfect. Only Christ could do that. Now, the Old Testament law was summarized in the Ten Commandments. You know, do not worship other gods, do not murder, honor your father and mother, etc., but there were hundreds of other laws as well, 613 in total. Shall I read them to you? <laughs> the Old Testament law told, taught how the people had to worship God and how they should treat other people. But that law wasn't perfect. Do you know why? Because the people who were meant to obey the law kept sinning. They kept disobeying the law. The Old Testament made... The Old Testament law made the people say, I can't keep these lords. They're too hard. They're too oppressive for me. What I need is somebody to keep them for me. Guess who that person was? The Lord Jesus Christ is the only man who ever obeyed all of those laws perfectly. 
Jesus came to this earth. He lived the perfect life, and he died on the when he died on the cross, saying, "It is finished." Then one of the things that was finished was the Old Testament law. He had fulfilled. He had kept every single one of those Old Testament laws. And the good news is, that means you and I don't have to. We don't have to keep the Old Testament laws. We're not under law anymore. We're under grace, praise God. So now, a new law can be introduced. A new way of being right with God. Not through keeping hard and oppressive laws, but through faith alone. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's the only way to be right with God. The Old Testament law was fulfilled by Jesus. So please, don't you think that you can be right with God by being a good, moral, upright person. It doesn't work. God's not interested in that. He's interested in your faith in Jesus Christ, which will make you a better, upright, moral person. Verse 12 when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. I wonder if any of you have been watching the BBC series, Race Around the World. Anybody been watching this? We have. It's good fun. Five pairs of people have been making their way over land across Canada with a very limited amount of money they're not allowed to fly, and they're not allowed to use their mobile phones to, to Google directions. Now, one of these couples was a young married couple called Zanib and Mobim. Is it Mobim from Manchester? The two young doctors. And in episode four, we saw that they needed to earn some extra cash, so they worked on a farm. It was a farm that was in... Saskatchewan that was breeding horses and cows. The farmers there were born-again Christians, and they were so gracious and on fire for the Lord Jesus. And they showed much grace and love to these two young Muslims. At dinner one evening, the farmer asked them, so as Muslims, how do you think you will get to heaven? And Zanib the lady, she quickly answered, by being a good person, by being nice and doing good in the world. Now, while she was very sincere, she was sincerely wrong. She was sincerely wrong. The Bible is very clear that the only way you can be right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Grace is God's kindness to people who don't deserve it. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's a gift of God. That's the only way to be right with God, by his kindness to us. The old way was to work hard in keeping the Old Testament law. But since Christ's death on the cross, the new way to be right with God is through faith alone. Acknowledging that you failed to meet God's high standards, 
but believe that Jesus has met those standards for you. So all you need to do is trust him. This is the only way, the only way to be right with the God who made you and the God who loves you. Verse 13. He of whom these things are said, that's Melchizedek, belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. In other words, nobody has been a, a, a priest that wasn't from the, 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 the tribe of Levi. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regards to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Now, the, the, the Hebrew people who received this letter, when they first read that statement, they would say, but how, how can that work? J Jesus can't be a priest in heaven because all the priests come from the tribe of, of Levi, and we know that Jesus is the tribe of Judah. So how can that work? Well, we're told that a major transformation has taken place. The Old Testament law, along with the priests, have passed away. They are just not needed anymore. How can we be sure, the people might say? How, how do we know we're not being led astray? Let me tell you, says the writer. And he does in verse 15. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who's become a priest, not on the basis of the regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. So the Levi priests were appointed according to their family line. They were allowed to serve as priests in the temple if they could prove that both of their parents were true Levi's. It had nothing to do with their moral character. They could be all sorts of dreadful people, but if their parents were from the tribe of Levi, then it's fine. You can serve God. You can serve the people at the altar. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Just because you're from the right family line. It's not good enough. What we need some, is somebody who is perfect. And perfect enough to be admitted into God's presence forever and that perfect person is the Lord Jesus isn't it he is allowed into heaven and because he's risen from the dead on the basis of his sinless life Jesus is indestructible as the writer to the Hebrew says because he was raised from the dead never to die again every Old Testament priest died but this New Testament priest, Jesus, he is indestructible because he was found to be without sin. Death could not hold him, so he's raised to everlasting life. Verse 18, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. These former regulations, that's the Old Testament law, they've now been set aside. They're not needed anymore. Because the truth is, it, it, it wasn't fit for purpose. As we've said, nobody could keep it. It was too hard. It would never save anybody, really. 
It was weak because it was administered by a priest. And that priest, who may have been the best of men, at the end of the day, he was only a man and therefore sinful. So the priests needed to offer sacrifices to God day after day for their own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And the basis of the whole of the Old Testament is the Old Testament law. And Jesus kept all of the Old Testament law every day of his life, so now it is finished. It's finished. The book of law is closed. Verse 14, by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Folks, if you are trusting in his sacrifice, you have been made holy. That is, set apart from sin. The Lord Jesus takes away your sin, and instead he gives you his righteousness as a gift so that you can draw near to God with confidence. And when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of his precious son, Jesus. Isn't that amazing? If you're a Christian, God sees you as perfect. I don't see me as perfect, but God does because I'm clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus as you are if you're a Christian. Your salvation is 100% accomplished by Jesus. So there's nothing left for you to do but trust him. He saved you totally. There's nothing you contribute to your salvation except trust in Jesus. Are you a Christian? Then rejoice in what God has done for you. If you're not yet a Christian or if you're not sure, confess your sins, cry out to God, and he will accept you. Ask for the perfection of Jesus to cover you, and he will surely do it. So number two, Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek. Verse 20 says, And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath. But he became priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn, sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. God has sworn an oath that Jesus will be your great high priest forever in the order of a Melchizedek because Jesus was sinless. Jesus is the great high priest because he did not go into the temple and offer a sacrifice. He became the sacrifice. Jesus became the sacrifice as he died on the cross for you. So he is able to give a rock-solid guarantee of this better covenant, this better promise to you. What is this better covenant? Not one based on works, but on grace and grace alone. This wonderful saviour that we have. And Jesus is the, well, is it, he became the guarantor of a better covenant. Picture a, a, a Jewish father. His son has just announced that he's going to be married. So the father's first thoughts were that he will have to raise a dowry to give to the bride's family. And when the couple get engaged, 
the groom's father will pay a deposit, guarantee that he will pay the balance when the couple get married. The deposit was a guarantee that he will pay all of it. And Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant. He's guaranteeing that he will bring it bring in all the blessings of the new covenant. The new covenant was always God's plan. The new covenant was always God's plan. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah, it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it not in a book for you to follow, but I will write it on their hearts. I will be my, their God and they will be my people. That's you. That's you. You will be his people. So under the new covenant, we will have God's law written on our hearts and we will know deep in our hearts that he is God and that we are his people. We will know him and every last sin will be forgiven. He's a wonderful saviour, isn't he? A wonderful saviour that forgive all of your sins. In verse 25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is able to save you completely. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've said, no matter what you thought, no matter what you failed at, Jesus is able to save you completely, completely. And he's now seated at the right hand of Almighty God, where he reigns as the King of Kings. And he is the great high priest who is representing you to Almighty God, even today. How wonderful is that? All power and authority has been given to him because he was raised from the dead. You can never save yourselves, can you? You can never save yourselves. You need to trust in this king and this great high priest, Jesus Christ. Do you deserve it? Not a bit of it, no. Sorry, folks, you don't deserve it. But it's all of his grace, his mercy, and his love, isn't it? Praise God for his grace, mercy, and love to wretched people like you and I. So this Jesus is the better king. He is the better great high priest, and he's the better prophet, prophet, priest, and king. So we need to walk with Jesus. We need to worship Jesus and above all, trust him. Trust him. However life feels right now, whatever your circumstances are that you're going through, walk with him, trust him. And the central message of Hebrews is press on. Press on with him. He is worthy and will never let you down. Praise God for this wonderful Saviour. Amen.